We're a great team, we're a family, we're not a network, but we're a family who are on mission with God's story because Jesus has transformed lives and we believe that he wants to transform everyone's life and not just individuals but also places and communities. So that's what we're about here. So it's a huge vision, but he's big God and uh, he's very, very good and he's very, very kind. Um, as we are a family this morning, I just want to welcome, this is the first week we've had Sebastian and Michaela with us. If you're familiar with them, maybe you're not, if you're just visiting with us, but they are our new staff members. Um, Michaela is going to be our children's pastor, and Sebastian is going to look after communities, which means anybody who comes from the front door, we want to get them to a table and to get them involved in family. So I can see Sebastian, but I can't see Michaela. She's maybe sorting her kids out. So she's walking in the room. So why don't you stand? And welcome. So they moved up yesterday, and I, I wasn't there. I was in Bangor yesterday. Uh, but you get, I believe there was a convoy from Dungannon to Korean and then back up again. So did they look after you okay? Very well, good, good. So um, yeah, I want to jump into today's, today's conversation and say welcome. Um, last week we had a guest speaker, Ruth Cook from IGM, hope that you got to hear and connect with her. Uh, it was kind of cool that we joined with over 14,000 churches across the world to have a conversation on biblical justice and to be reminded that some people don't live as free as we live here in this present community. So that was just a wonderful uh, time with her. I'm sure I've listened to her talk. It was absolutely brilliant, her biblical justice talk. We, um, we listened to it actually. Thank you for the, the media team who ever did that, actually. It puts the talks up there right away. So we were able to leave the Carrick family and listen to you, your conversation on the way down the road. How cool is that? It's very cool. So yeah, that was brilliant. And I want to pick up today where we left off a couple of weeks ago when I talked about biblical community. Last time I talked about the case for biblical community, um, but this morning I want to do something slightly different. It is the same theme of the conversation. If you missed the last one and all the scriptures and the reasoning for that, then you can go back into the usual platforms, wherever you listen online, Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever you prefer to use, you can pick up that talk there. All the talks are now up. But today what I want to do is slightly different, and today is more of a conversation that Michelle and I are having with the father. Uh, and it concerns community groups, and it's more of what we see the community groups doing, what we feel the Father doing through us. And uh, so today is a bit of a vision. Today is a bit of prophetic. And uh, where, if you're thinking, oh, well, that's just strange language, prophetic is just what, what's the Father's heart? What is God saying to his his children? And that's what we want to pick up today. Uh, my aim today is just to put it from the outset. It's not trying to talk you into joining the community group. That's sales pitch. We don't want to do that. We're not trying to convince you. It's more than that. What we want to do is just share the vision of what we feel the Lord doing through and with us as a church family. So it's bigger than that. So relax. We're not going to try and convince you or put your arm up your back or get you to sign any form straight after this conversation. But we do want to give you our heart where we feel the Father leading and what we feel the Father saying. And this is a conversation not just unique to Michelle and I. This is a conversation that we've been having with other leaders within the last two months. Strangely, all across the world and all across this island, people are having the same conversation, which is kind of cool. And that's when you know that the Father is up to much and that we're, so, we're starting to hear. He's always speaking, but the eyes and ears of his church are opened to hear what he says and to see what he's doing. So today's conversation is called Tables and Altars. Would you, would you just pray with me this morning? 
before we, we jump into any reading of ancient scripture or points or anything else. Father, would you just come and, yeah, just would you, would you come and, and be our voice today? Would you come and speak? Would you come and open our eyes to see, our hearts to just uh, to expect and to welcome you in? Holy Spirit, would you present yourself among us this morning? You give me clarity of thinking, clarity of thought, and of communication this morning, God. But more than that, more than words, more than thoughts or ideas today, I pray that this, your family, us, that in your church here in Dungannon and also in, in Macrofeld, that we would get your heart, that our hearts would align with your hearts, our purposes align with your purposes, God. And we just say thank you for all that you're doing in us and through us. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So here at Vineyard Church Dungannon, our vision is pretty big. Um, people always say, what's your vision for the next five years? What's your vision for the next 10 years? What's your vision for the next year? Well, we do have some thoughts and ideas, and we always try and, and engage with that. But basically, the vision's huge. It's all encompassing. The vision is the kingdom of God. And to try and explain that uh, in a small way or a, on a piece that you could just rhyme off or take away with you or pack tightly, it's very hard to do that because the vision of the kingdom is all encompassing. And what the vision of the kingdom in short is, is that what this world would look like, your street, your family would look like if Jesus Christ himself was in charge. It's a great definition of what the kingdom of God is like. What would the life, what would your life look like? What would the world look like? Communities, societies, spaces and places look like if Jesus himself was in charge. And I keep reminding myself and reminding you too, as the family of God, that we are living in a post-Christian culture. It's not that we don't have scripture anymore. It's not that we're not allowed to assemble anymore. It's not that people don't know the the story of Jesus. They do, and they don't hear the story of Jesus. They do. But what a post-Christian culture is, that people want the benefits of the kingdom, equality, justice, peace, joy, right living, all that stuff. They want the benefits of shalom, God's abundance and provision without the king. And that's what it means to be post-Christian, to have all the benefits of what God wants to give a society and a community and a person to live in freedom, to live in the design that he has ordered for them to live in, and yet they want that without giving their allegiance to King Jesus. And what we're trying to do here in Vineyard Church on Ghana is help you to surrender your life to his life, to align your heart with his heart, so that we can say Jesus Christ is Lord and Caesar is not. What does that mean, Jason Caesar is not here? It means that all the political entities, all the other small religions, all the other small kingdoms are raised low. They go into their proper context and their fitting position and place, but Jesus rises above it all. That's the story and the vision of here. But one of the primary ways that we see that happening, that kingdom expression happening, that life of God happening, is we see that happening in small groups gathered together and scattered throughout the community here in Mid-Ulster. That's a dream, that's a vision. And so it's more than a, some sort of event or some sort of program that the church has put on so that we can have another meeting. We don't need another meeting, okay? But we do need people whose hearts are open, whose doors are open, whose tables are welcoming, where we leave the rows, we gather around tables to have communion, to share a meal, and have our lives formed by the presence of Jesus through practicing the ways of Jesus as we read in the ancient scriptures. Uh, I want to begin this morning by offering you something that I've offered uh, recently to to churches and staff and leaders, Michelle and I humbly, and, and it's quite exciting, I've been given a bit more invitation nationally within Vineyard and also people and friends that are outside the Vineyard. Uh, we were at Bangor Church yesterday speaking and had a lot of fun with King's Church. Uh, but uh, as I've been with different groups and people, I, I offer them this word of advice or this scripture um, from Jesus himself. 
Let me, let me read to you. Do you want to pick up a Bible, actually? It's really good to get back into the form of reading ancient scriptures. If you don't have a paper copy, there's some here at the front. Stick your hand up. We'll get you one. There's some at the back also. Uh, if you have 4G on your phone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. It's brilliant, brilliant apps. There's some incredible tools out there to engage you with Jesus through reading of scripture. You do know that the goal is not the engagement of scripture. The goal is relationship with Jesus through the scriptures. So let me read it. I'm just going to read off, off this uh, tablet, if you don't mind. It says, on the evening of the first day of the week, John 20, sorry, John chapter 20, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19 to 22. On the first day, or sorry, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said, and he said this, Sorry, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true. And it's given to us in love. We're familiar with the middle line. If you've been around Vineyard Church Dungannon for any length at all, any length of time at all, you're familiar with an outward-focused church, that our mission we're mission-centric. That's what the text is saying. So as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. It's mission-centric. So that, that, that in, in encourages us. Actually, it doesn't just encourage us. It propels us and positions us to live our lives as missional people here near and far. So as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Again, we would, we would see this as doing the stuff. And again, the vision is a kingdom, so it's so expansive. But if we choose again, I think I've said this to you before, but if we choose to discard the line before... And after, we set ourselves up for fatigue and worse failure. We graft hard, we get tired quickly, that's what happens. If we are people that just go, we're sent people that are going out to do the stuff all the time, then this fatigue sets in, there's disillusionment sets in, there's discouragement sets in, and the worst case scenario, failure sets in. It is possible to fail on the Christian faith. It is possible to do that. And so I want to, I want to give to you today, I want to uh, encourage your hearts today to engage in the practice where this word peace, I think, is more than the absence of fear here. When Jesus says, peace be with you, he's not saying, don't be afraid of the Jewish leaders. He's actually saying, shalom. It's a Jewish greeting. He, he talks to his disciples before. He, you remember when he says, when you go to a house, let your peace be upon that place. So bring the greeting of peace. This is what Jesus is doing as a Jewish rabbi. He's saying, peace be with you. He's saying, shalom. Be well. Be healthy. Be the people that I've called you to be. Relax. Don't be striving. Know my peace upon you. And then the line below is this, that uh, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So without the, the health that we, we go after and without the, the friendship of the Holy Spirit, the doing the stuff, the going, the creating communities and all the wonderful mission-centric stuff that the Father has called us to do here at Vineyard Church Dungannon, it's going to become impossible. It's going to become something that's unattainable, unsustainable, and something that brings, as I say, worst case scenario could bring actually failure. And we don't want that for, for any of you people here. We don't want people here at Vineyard Church Dungannon uh, serving people out of a sense of duty. That's never the heart of the leadership and the team here, or, or even those who I know and love among among these seats today, brothers and sisters in Christ, that's not our hearts. We don't want people to serve out of a sense of duty. We don't want you to go into a community group out of a sense of duty. But before you switch off, okay, let me say this. So don't hear, Jason says, don't serve. What Jason says is don't go to community groups. What Jason is saying is that we want rather as people serving 
and connecting with genuine spirit-filled empowerment. We want people who are coming and engaging with the ancient scriptures, who are serving, who are, who are serving the poor, who are praying for the sick, who are cleaning fences and painting fences and doing all sorts of manner of things to extend the kingdom of God here near and far. We want that to become a, a heart overflow of genuine spirit-filled empowerment. Well, the Holy Spirit does it where you're not just hearing somebody trying to convince you to do something. Does that make sense? So that means that there's a preparation or preparing and partnering with God. There's always preparation and partnering with God to see God and his kingdom come on the earth. Anybody paint in the room? Any painters? Anybody just not even vocationally or occupationally? Anybody do a bit of painting? May? Artistic painting? Anybody do any sort of more painting around the house? Great. Thank you. That's great. Um, I was just going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> the weather's still good and we still have a bit of daylight the outside of our house needs done but if, yeah. uh, much to Michelle's frustration I have this reason for this much to Michelle's frustration I, I, I take notions do you ever take notions? do you ever take a wee notion to yourself? Like it happened this Friday night I was waiting for Caleb to come back from Belfast I'm one of these people who I'll just give you my personality type I don't necessarily like to be around people having a conversation, but don't like being on my own. Does that make sense? So I like people, but I don't like people. Sort of person. I know, it's hard. We'll try living in this head. And, uh, and so Michelle was out, and I was all left alone again. And Caleb wasn't coming back for a while. And then he phoned me and said, oh, I'm late, Dad. So I had half an hour, 45 minutes to, get, to kill, and I looked at our um, windowsill, and it was, well, the paint was coming out. I said, I know, I just go out to the guards, get a bit of paint. Just go out to the guards, get a bit of paint. Everything's still on the windowsills, by the way, and open a tin of paint, put the paint on, discover it's the wrong colour. I thought, ah, take that paint off, go back out to the guards, get what I think's the right tin of paint, and then start painting. And then I'm painting over books and round the windowsill, and I thought, it'd be a great idea if I took the things off the windowsill, wouldn't it? <laughs> so I started to do that, clean on the sill, and then I looked at the door and thought, that door looks like it needs a little bit of paint too. So I started painting the door and putting paint on the floor. Lower. and uh, fortunately enough it was a bonus week for us we had a big week we did the big shop a week ago before and we actually had kitchen roll do you know what kitchen roll is <laughs> we don't usually have kitchen roll but that's how posh we've got here in our house and that's also a benefit of having kids away to university you can afford kitchen roll <laughs> and, and, and so I, I battered on with that but all that to say that there you know, I never stop once to say, maybe I should think about this. Maybe I should prepare. Maybe I should get a wee bit of masking tape. Maybe, in fact, I should take the books off the, the shelf before I paint. Maybe I should put a ground sheet down. Maybe I've seen myself using ladders and balancing on ladders and not, stuff not moving. And Michelle coming and going, what on earth? And I just think she's so ungrateful. The reason we have practice is that we want to be like Jesus. We really want to do what he does, but not just for a season. Not just for a moment, not just for a bright idea of a pastor or a leader, not just because some other church is doing it, not because we think this is a way forward. We've bought a new book and we think this would be really cool. Here's a new practice. No, that's not the reason. His presence is dear to us. We, we, are, we want to be healthy enough to partner with him. And that's the reason God actually wants to transform our lives. There's a preparation that he does in our hearts. There's a discipline that he has for it. There's a rule that he has for it. It's not so that he wants to take the fun out of it, but he wants to transform our character so that we can carry when he pours out favor on our lives. Do you understand what I mean by that? 
God pours out, God's desire is to pour out favor on your life. He has good things for you. But what often happens is we as containers, we're broken and sometimes we're just messed up. And I don't know about you, but have you ever done this? I've done it. Have you ever hit the self-destruct button? Even in the midst of God's favor? It's possible that we just prep for whatever reason. It could be some background thinking. It could be some negativity that's spoken over your life. It could be something culturally that you grew up with. It could be something in your, your family history, your genealogy. It could be whatever, the environment that you find yourself in at times. Maybe your mental health is low or for whatever reason at all. That's why it's so important to prepare your heart. That God has good things for us. But often we as broken people mess it up. And he doesn't want us to mess us up. He wants us to enjoy his favor, the good things that he's planned for us. And that goes corporately as it does personally for all of us. So if I was to ask you to, to describe the main piece of furniture in our community groups, what would you say it is? What's the main piece of furniture? Table. Brilliant. That's easy, right? It's easy. It's a table. There's another image this morning I want us to, to think about. And it's figuratively, thinking about it symbolically. I want us to have... Another image in our community group. So you might be here for the first time thinking, what is a community group? Let me explain very quickly. A community group has some elements to it. We practice the ways of Jesus. We call that being a disciple, being an apprentice of Jesus. Not a new thing. It's what Jesus had always planned in his heart, that we would be apprentices, that we would do the stuff that he does. But more than that, we would be with him. We would become like him, and then we would do the stuff. And so there's some things that Jesus did, and we thought, Michelle and I thought, and talked to some other people, and we thought, wouldn't it be really clever if we did the same things that Jesus did? Who'd have thought? Isn't that a brilliant idea? Just for a moment, we thought, why don't we do what Jesus did? If Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, that's not a ticket into heaven. If he is the way, the truth, and life, life here on earth, then maybe there are some things that Jesus does that we should do. And if you read the ancient scriptures, there's lots of things that he did. Like he slept. He ate a lot. That's why we do it. He had a reputation. Some called him a drunkard. Some called him a glutton. Because he was either going to a party, coming from a party, or thinking about having a party. Read the scriptures. He's loved, he, he seemed to be always in a hurry, not to do something, but to actually be with, be with the Father. And I don't know about you, but I'm always in a hurry to do something, and less in a hurry to be with the Father. So that's one element. Together is the dominant metaphor for the church in the New Testament, is family. It's family. We eat together in every community group. We share a meal together. It doesn't have to be complicated. If your community group just brings tortilla chips and salsa, that's okay. I prefer more than that for anybody that's signed up to ours. Just saying. But we, well, that's, that's, that's eating together. We pray together. Every VCD community prays together. Prayer. Who would have thought? There's something that God does when his children come together before him in prayer. You know what actually happens? We become family. We form family when we have the conversation together with our father. I love it when I have all three of our boys together and we're having a conversation. It's great one-to-one -one at times. In fact, it's very good one-to-one. -one. But there's some crack when all of us are together and they're all putting on their 10 pence worth. And they know everything about everything. They just all of a sudden, they're just a geniuses. We share life together, meeting together one, one night a week. That's one night a week. They devoted themselves. We, we're just one night a week people. But when community starts to become the Monday to Friday, the life flow of the family together, everyday relationships just connect, and then that's when the good stuff happens. That's when the good stuff happens. 
So, and the third part of that is that we in Dungan and surrounding areas, as followers of Jesus in our town, we take the level of spiritual responsibility very serious for the place in which we live. Actually, we are the missionaries in the community. We have a voice. We carry the presence of Jesus. We're the non-anxious presence in the anxious world. Just this week, I realized that the man took his life in a play park in Dungannon. It's not God's dream for his community. And we, as a church, we're not responsible for that, but we want to take spiritual responsibility for the climate of Dungannon. We want to take the spiritual responsibility of the people who pray together, who are missional, who actually leave their comfort zones and go out into their communities and extend the warmth and the welcome of the Holy Spirit to our communities. Does that make sense? That's an explanation of what we do in our community groups. So back to this piece of furniture, the table, and then the altar. There are tables and there are altars. But I don't want you to panic. We're not going to start building monuments or things made of stone or wood. We're not going to do that. Altars and scriptures are places of encounter with God. First and foremost, where people meet God. A moment in time where God is showing up in their life. And what they do is just out of that moment that they want to actually, it's not just some religious thing, they actually want to maintain that relationship, that moment. So to mark that moment, they build altars. And so they're a description of an encounter with God. Also, altars are, if you read the ancient scriptures at all, there's a lot in this. This is not a book. I keep telling people this. That's why I don't use the word Bible. It's, It's not that I'm trying to be clever. Bible means book. This is more than book. This is ancient scripture. This is God-breathed, God-inspired. This is born of the Spirit of God. This is the only book that every time you open it, the author shows up. This is not a book to be read for study. This is a book to be read for relationship and prayerfully engage with. And so if you read through these ancient scriptures, you also find that there's a place of sacrifice. There's a great word, isn't it? Don't we love that? I mean, worship and experience and encounter God and shaking and falling down if you're charismatic. That's, that's the fun stuff, but the sacrifice part. See, we want the fire of God, but sometimes we don't want to put wood on the altar. That's just me, is it? Sometimes I want the fire of God to come, but I'm not so keen on putting myself on as a sacrifice for him to come and to do something in my life. So it's a place of worship, a place of prayer, and a place of presence. That's the idea. Have you got the idea? Altar's a place of encounter, a place of sacrifice, a place of presence. See, the reality is, John Wimber said this, in the economy of the kingdom, it's quite simple. Every new step in the kingdom of God will cost us everything we've gained to date. Huh. Don't you love those sort of quotes? Hate them. Let me read it again. In the economy of the kingdom, it's quite simple. Every new step of the kingdom will cost us everything we've gained to date. That means nothing's taken for granted. We live consistently pouring our hearts out. And man, I was, I was kind of freaked this morning, to be honest, when I just heard the voices singing, and we sang, we sang that, that we're an offering to, far too small. Demands my heart, my life, my all. Did you sing it? Serious words, isn't it? That God would get all of our heart, that he would get our soul, our emotional life, our physical life, Every part of us that God would get that. For a moment I stopped singing it just to make sure I'm still there. And then sang it. So that's what Wimber's saying. He says that don't take anything for granted. The kingdom will cost us everything we've gained to date. It's just continuation of surrendering to the heart of the Father. 
Again, Philippians probably would paraphrase it this way. Philippians 3.13, Paul, he was a, a brilliant New Testament scholar. He was from Jewish background, and not just Jewish background, but Jewish hierarchy. Politically and religious, he was the guy. And he writes to the Philippian church, and he says, forgetting, forgetting, this is the guy that had it all, forgetting those things behind, we press on towards a call. We're future-orientated, future precision. So the principles of sacrifice and surrender in Scripture are not so God can shortchange you, just by the way. This is not a beat yourself up sort of morning. This is not a, you know, God just wants to drain the life out of you. He just wants to take the fun out of you having a relationship with him. But he doesn't want to shortchange you. He's got more for you. Or let me say it this way. We don't encounter God for nothing. When we encounter God, do you know what he does? He brings order into our lives and community. It's not just a moment, Eller. It's an encounter, a collision of the supernatural when heaven touches earth. He transforms individuals. He transforms small groups of people. And he transforms, I really believe this, and this is my hope, and this is my prayer, and here's my vision. It's big and it's wide. He transforms a wider community through the church, through the community of faith. And so my question is, what if heaven broke in? What if heaven broke in? You know that prayer on earth as we... On, he- on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes it just rolls off our tongue. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not a liturgy. It's a template for us to engage with God, that prayer. So that moment when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're actually saying, God, come. Come and break in. Because groups of people need to be renewed and refreshed. What does it mean to be renewed? Language that we use all the time. Renewed is when individuals, groups, Churches are refreshed and see an advancement in the kingdom of God. It's more than a shaken meeting. It's more than the goosebumps. It's more than falling down. It's more than having a, a, just a flutter in your heart, and that's the Holy Spirit. Being renewed by God, the renewal process is actually something that's sustainable in our life. It's God moving when we're realigned in his presence. Have you ever had your heart realigned in his presence? Have you ever come here in a bad mood? No. Stretch your imagination. Just pretend. Have you ever come here and, and you've had a bit of a ding-dong with the missus in the way of the car? No? Is that, that's another vineyard, isn't it? Telling stories about other vineyards this morning. Have you ever come and you've just, you've just got a bad attitude? Yeah? And all of a sudden, you, you stop and you, you pause for a moment and we start to sing these simple songs to Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes, it's His presence comes, and all of a sudden, our hearts find rest in His presence. And for the first time, maybe in that week, your heart's realigned again to the heart of the Father and things are adjusted accordingly. Does that, has anybody, anybody ever had that experience? Or just me, wave at me if you've ever had that experience. Thank you. So that's what He does. He, God is moving, He's realigning us in his presence. Renewal is seeing and experience a better future. How many of you want to do that? How many of you want to see a better future for your community? Not just your family, not just for your own individual life. I mean, I want that too, okay? But I also want to see a better future for my community, for this nation, for this island. And I want to see a better future lived here on the earth. So what if heaven broke in? Is it possible? On earth as it happened? Because Groups of people being renewed by God come together. This is how I see it working out. Let me try and explain this as best I can. This is how it works. Because groups of people, a result, a result of people coming together, groups of people being renewed by God to contend for God to move powerfully here, now on the earth. Can you imagine that for a moment? That throughout 
our community, throughout this county, throughout this Mid-Ulster area, throughout this island, what if we left our rows and gathering together wasn't an optional add-on to church? What if it was something more than that? What if it was a gathering of people hungry, contending for God to move powerfully here, now on the earth? What if it was that? What if it was more than you boiling rice in a bag to bring to a community group? What if it was more than just calling them to get bread and this was just this is something you had to do in your week? What if it was more than hoovering and dusting? Hoovering is most of the best product in the world, isn't it? Every other um, product you use gets the word hoover. It's just fascinating. What if it was more than getting your house ready so you had to show up because they had this program of community groups? What if it was more than opening your doors and welcoming people and getting the dishes done and then the dishwasher at the end of the night? What if it was the reimagining of hungry people who were aligning their hearts to the Father, being refreshed by God, God bringing the life of God into their lives, and then as a result of that, the overflow of their lives being refreshed by God, refreshing the actual community where they live. Would that be a vision that you could buy into? Would that be a vision maybe that you could give your life to and be hungry for? I think so. I want to use a guy called Mark Sayers' words to describe how we see the VCD communities. Do you want to hear something very cringy and very embarrassing? Uh, he, he came to my, Michelle was away and I again was lonely and found wanting, <laughs> hungry and destitute. And so one night I was just praying, knocked the TV off and I was praying and his name came to my mind and, and I was reminded the evening with 24 hours we'd spent with him and his wife. So I just felt the father speaking to me. And so he, he, he's a smart, brilliant guy. And so I decided to write him this prophetic message, what I felt the father saying. So I sent this email. And, um, and the email was around altars and small groups of renewal happening. And I sent him the email. And I thought, when I hit send, have you ever done that? And you think, it doesn't even have to be a prophetic word. You just say something to somebody. And you've done it through a WhatsApp or text. And you think, oh, come back. Let me think about it. I'm so insecure. I'm so afraid. So he wrote back, but here's the cringy part. I later found out that he wrote a book on it. It was already printed and distributed. (laughs) Uh, So let me use his words. To describe how we see Vineyard Church Dungannon community groups. I hope this captures your imagination this morning. Again, not sales pitch. We're not, I don't want to convince you this morning. I want your hearts to be realigned with what I feel the Father's doing. This is what he said in this book that he wrote. He said, a group hungry for God to move. Discovering forgotten habits and practices that have nourished and nurtured the people of God through the church's history. These practices and habits are infused with new vibrancy and power as the presence moves amongst those seeking him. The foundation for a move of God are established. What if God was to move again? What if he would move again? Uh, I sometimes, maybe I've been over embarrassed, maybe over um, cautious of believing for God to move in language like revival. In language like refreshing, because probably I grew up in that culture where we talked about it, and we prayed about it, and we talked about it, and prayed about it. 
But we actually didn't prepare our hearts as containers for God to come and to do stuff. Now, that's not me being overcritical. That's just an observation. And as a result of that, then I back away from it and think, well, I've never saw anything. Therefore, it's not possible. Therefore, we're going to put that in the back burner and just get on with doing church life. But then I discovered that the heart of the Father is to move, is to refresh, is to bring every, every person, every person you know, every broken vessel, every young man who's thinking about what goes through their mind, the, the torment, the torture to leave their home in the early hours of the morning to take their lives in a cold space. What if God was wanting his people prepared Mask and tape out, dust sheets down, so that he, we would be containers able to contain the refreshing and the renewing of God. The foundations of a move of God are established. What if God, what if God was working in small groups of people scattered throughout the, the, the county and the country? And the island. What if God was doing that? What if this wasn't our idea? What if this was a New Testament practice and happening where people met daily in their homes, those who devoted themselves, opening up ancient scripture, getting on their knees to pray and cry out to God to move. Rooms were shaken and seemed like tongues of fire. It felt and looked like fire on heads. What if this was a principle of small groups like 120 at one case, seeing a revival and the birth of the New Testament church and the birth of Christianity? in fact what if God was using small groups of people who were hungry and contended for the presence of God to pour out and pour himself into broken places and broken people what if God was doing that what if God was aligning our heart with his heart as we gathered around the presence of Jesus and we started to think bigger than just gathering together to do a bible study but we actually gathered together to encounter the living God what if that was the reality Gerald Mc, McDermott, uh, he, um, he writes a blog thing. But he had a recap on a guy called Martin Thornton's Pastor Theology. He did a very fancy piece of work called The Remnant. Remnant is just, it's not a scriptural word, it's not a biblical word. You know, you can get a remnant of carpet. It just means there's a piece of carpet cut away from, you get it cheaper. Sometimes I look for it in shops. You ever got a remnant? We but we but do you? People are funny, aren't we? Northern Ireland people like we. Do you, are you like me? You want the best possible product, don't you? And it has to look uh, aesthetically good, but you want it for nothing. Are you are you like me in that way? Every retailer's nightmare. The remnant is just a people still remaining, cut off maybe from the main. He said this, God. This is a Gerald McDermott, actually, this is his recap. God chose only one tiny nation through which to work and to invest that little people with himself. And in Israel itself, God focused on the remnant. We see in the same pattern in Jesus' ministry. Why didn't he spend so much time with the crowds? Why didn't he go after them when they wandered, after getting fed? Or even when they turned away in repulsion because of his hard sayings? Instead, he spent the vast majority of his time with the remnant, the twelve. He went deep with them and he trusted them. He trusted that, sorry, that their inner life, which he cultivated for three years, he cultivated this inner life, these practices, this being with them, these doing the things that Jesus did, would radiate. Their lives would attract others. 
And that's my hope and that's my dream. That God would radiate, that, that we would gather together focused on King Jesus, that we would be uh, enveloped in his presence and transformed in his presence. And at the same time, we would, re, we would radiate. There would be something about us that was different. Not that we're better than other people, not that we're smarter than other people, not that we've got more talent than other people, not that we've got even the best ideas for a community, but there's just there's something different about us. There's something of the fruit of the Spirit that lingers from us. There's the fragrance of Jesus that goes where we go, that brings peace that brings joy and right living and faith and patience and hope and transforms the human heart. What if that was possible? Back to tables and altars. Try and tie it up. Genesis 35, 1-15. If you want to turn there, it's right at the start of the book. It's one of the easiest places to find. Doing okay? So it's quite a lengthy text I'm reading this morning. 15 verses. Right at the start of the book, Genesis 35, 1-15. Then God said to Jacob, Go to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God. There's the word altar. Who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau, a bit of a family ding-dong. And they actually decided that the best thing for them to do was live their lives apart. Loved each other, forgive each other, but hey, there was no reconciliation. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of your foreign gods you who you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. I know we don't have any foreign gods, right? But he tells him to get rid of them. To purify, to change, to wash, and to change your clothes. It's just this, what's happening here is just a, total, a totally different culture. It's not just saying change your clothes because that's just bad fashion sense. He's actually saying get yourself ready, prepare yourself. So then come, then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. What a testimony. So they give Jacob all the foreign gods they had, and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the yoke of Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. What actually meant that people recognized that God was with them. And so they were afraid. They don't want to be robbing these people. Don't want to be murdering these people. Don't want to be pillaging these people. Don't want to be raping these people. God is with these people. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz. That is Bethel in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar. And he called the place El Bethel. Because it was there that God revealed himself to him. When he was fleeing from, the brothers, from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. And was buried under the oak outside Bethel. So it was named Alon Bakuth. After Jacob returned from Padam Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Because I am God Almighty, be fruitful, increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I give you, or I give to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give you this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he, had take, where he had talked to him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God talked with him. And he poured out a drink offering that's a sacrifice in the altar, place of presence. And he also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him, Bethel. This is the word of the Lord again. It's true. An altar like we read in this text is a place of that encounter. It's, and it's, here's what I want to say to you guys today. 
It's not my job to build an altar for you. It's not God's job, in fact, for God to build an altar for you. It's not the church's job to build an altar for you. It's not whoever your best friend is or whoever it is that you're walking with in faith who's encouraging you. It's not their job to build an altar for you. It's a space and a place where God dwells in an intimate way with you. And it's exclusivity with you and him. But your job, your job is to build your own altar. You have a father in heaven who wants to have a relationship with you. That sounds simple, but we need to be reminded of it. Remember the garden in the cool of the day, divinity and, uh, and humanity connecting together. It's a powerful story. Let me read it quickly for you. Genesis three seventy nine. Immediately the two of them did. Uh, sorry, immediately the two of them did see what's really going on. So they've done something really bad and, uh, and they saw themselves naked. And so they sewed fig trees together, or fig leaves together, and they makeshift clothes for themselves, really. And when they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, that's one of my favorite texts. Think about that. Think about that. If you ever think of God as distance, you know when we pray the prayer, Our Father who art in heaven? That's not, the prayer in that line is not that God's in heaven and we're here. It's not that God's in outer space and we look up and we have to we pray to him. The Hebrew language for that, for God in heaven, is actually he's as close as the breath that you breathe. It's this language of God in the evening and his breath is close. So every time you breathe out and you breathe in, our Father who art in heaven, you're right here close to me. As I breathe out in these autumn mornings where you see your breath actually go out, remember God is that close to you. So he wants to engage with us. The man and his wife hid with the trees in the garden. They hid from God. It's silly, isn't it? Do you ever, like we talk about this being silly, but how many times do we actually try and hide from God? I'm not speaking to you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever not spoken to God and you fall out with him and you hide from him? It's impossible. God called the man. Where are you? Where are you? So my prayer for this new term of community groups is that you and I have a fresh encounter with God. That's all I'm saying. All that to say that, Jason, yeah, but it's worth hearing. When we intentionally make space, it's your job. When we intentionally make space to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ to experience a fresh, a fresh presence, an alignment of our hearts to God's and an outpouring of his life in our community and towns. It doesn't come naturally. Altars don't come naturally. It's inconvenient. It's inconvenient at times. It's costly. It's, 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 I don't need this. I've got lots going on in my life, God. I don't really want to build an altar. I don't really want to go to a place of encounter. There's so much going on in my life. There's actually things that are not going well in my life. And all the time, God has a solution for your problem and your pain. And, but that takes you making that first step towards him as he comes and meets us and envelops his presence around us. He wants to outpour his spirit, but we, we need to prioritize Jesus. We want a fire from heaven like you uh, and me. I want the fire from heaven. I want God to show up and his presence to become hot and to become something that's powerful. But I'm not so keen sometimes in putting wood in the altar, are you? Want the fire of God, but do we want to put wood in the altar? I'd rather do anything else sometimes and just do that. Show up. I'm busy. You're busy. So community groups are altars of sacrifice where I believe the Father will send the fire. I really do. Not, this is nothing of our making in that part. Our job is to show up. Our, God, our job is to prepare. Mask and tape, dust sheets, ladder. Whatever you need to do in your life. Whatever structure. Change your clothes. Change your thinking. Whatever you need to do. Change your habits. Show, show up. Think Acts 2, 1-4. 
They gathered in the upper room, waiting. Small group of people. Everybody else had scattered. Everybody else thought, you know what? That was a load of nonsense. That was a load of rubbish. I was sold a pup. That man told me that the kingdom would come. I believed that Israel would overthrow the Roman Empire, the last and the brutal of all the empires. I really, really believed that God would do something. And yet here he is, dead and buried. And here am I. Same problems. Same pain. Same situation. But there was a small group of people who contended for his presence, who listened to the voice of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who walked in his ways, who practiced his ways, and actually were obedient in and on his ways, and gathered together in an upper room, not knowing what on earth was going to happen, not knowing what the next plan was, not knowing what the next step. Do you think they honestly knew that the church was going to be formed? Do you think that they knew even before the Holy Spirit began to shake the room and before he came on them and, and, and his presence fell on them thickly and refreshed them and aligned them? Do you think that they had any inkling whatsoever of what would happen today, never mind then? No chance. No chance. And what if we, without a plan, gather together in small groups? The only plan was to press into his presence, to encounter God, and he just shows up and surprises us in the most wonderful ways and pours out his spirit. I think of the fruit and the reality of Acts 2 Church lived in. Supernatural miracles, friendships, social economic barriers gone, People coming and finding life in Jesus daily. They did something. When the early believers converted to Christ, it never occurred to them to fit him into the margins of their busy lives. It didn't occur to them. They redefined themselves around a new immovable center. They redefined themselves and their lives around a new immovable center. He was not an optional weekend activity. They put him and his church and his cause first in their hearts, first in their schedules, first in their budgets, first in their reputations, first in their fairy lives. They devoted themselves. They gathered around the table and they built an altar. They gathered around the table and they built an altar. Tables and altars around Mid-Ulster. Let it be so. Come on. Allow him to refresh your heart. Allow a little joy to arrive. To, to rise. Allow, allow hope to start to just to even surface in the life. It might be very low at the minute, but allow it to happen in your life. This is not hype up or whoop up or trying to make something happen. Just contend for the presence of Jesus, his sweet presence, his Holy Spirit. Do you think does he want to move? Do you see a God that just is thinking, oh, well, we'll just let them push on a wee bit more. Give them a wee bit more lead. Give them a wee bit more rope. You know, let them, let them, let them exhaust themselves. Let them become fatigued. Let them become, you know, just let them do some more. He's not like that. All he wants is open hearts and open homes so that he can pour out his presence into something that's sustainable, a container who can, can contain the very presence and favor of his outpouring. That's all he wants. He doesn't want us broken and fractured. He wants us healed. He wants us shalomed. He wants us peace in our lives. He wants us spending time with friend Holy Spirit so that we can go out and do the things that God has called us to do in Dungannon and the surrounding areas and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Are you with me? Are you with me? Yeah. I, that's our vision. And you know what's happening? What's happening right across the world, from Perth 
to Portland, to Straban, to Bangor, to Lisburn, to Athlone, to Macrofell. There's small groups of leaders who are rediscovering that we don't have to try and build big churches. That all we need to do is look for the hungry. Those who have eyes to see, ears to hear what the Father is doing. And maybe, just maybe, with hungry hearts and open hands, that people who are contending for the presence of Jesus, for the fire of God to be poured out in their lives, and say, gather together, not knowing the plan, not knowing the scheme, not knowing what's going to unfold even, that God would pour out his presence, and all of a sudden, things would start to be made new. And communities and people and places would be realigned to the vision, the original vision that God has for them. Such a good God. And all around the world, these conversations are happening. Are they new conversations? No, they're not. These are ongoing conversations. Well, why didn't it work before? If this was an old story, if people have done this for years, so we always go to the negative. But there's story after story after story after story after story of groups of small people in secluded places like the Hebrides and parts of secluded Islands and that never made Facebook or Twitter or social media or never had an Instagram post where God has gathered with people who have opened up their heart and their homes and their attitudes and aligned themselves with his presence and he's poured out his power and God has transformed and brought thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people back into family with himself. That has happened, and that still happens today. All across the world right now, there are small groups of people who will leave the rows in gathering circles around tables and living rooms and in all sorts of places, open up the ancient scriptures, eat together in communion with one another, and find the presence of Jesus in their hearts and their homes, and they will see thousands, and they are seeing thousands of people being transformed by the power of the Spirit. That is happening. That is a reality. So it's possible. It's possible. Tables and altars. Places of renewal. Places of change. So that's, that's, I'm done speaking. What we're going to do now is just as a family of God, we're going to take communion together. I'm going to invite Andy to come back up. And we're going to, um, yeah, we're going to begin this new, it's a new season, but it's not just a new season. Let, let me say this. If you can stay with me just, just for another moment. It's not just a new season of doing community groups. All right, this is not a new term time. We are not school. We are not, you know, this is not another calendar date. This is what happens. October, this is the new program. We're into October, a new program, community groups. When I talk about a new season, I'm talking around a turn. I'm talking this morning prophetically about a turnaround season in the life of our church and in the life of our community. Are you with me? It's bigger than that. The community groups are just a fakel. And quite honestly, right now, we don't have enough of them. But we're starting somewhere. So when I'm talking about this new season, as we begin this new season, don't think, don't think calendar. Don't think program. Don't think events. Think the new season of turnaround. I really believe, and I'm contending, and I'm boldly saying with all faith that I can muster up that God is moving. And God will pour out his spirit. I've seen glimpses of it this week. There's something happening in our lives. We are getting more influence as a small church. You are. There's, a, there's more of an awareness, just in the natural, of people wanting to hear our story of, of small things. And it's not, about, it's not about the promotion. 
but it is about being the presence of Jesus. And that's what's happening. So are you with me when I talk about a new season? So we're going to, uh, Andy's going to sing, and then we're going to have, would, would those who are coming to service communion this morning, would you, would you come, make your way? And we'll do that. And I'll get rid of this. So why don't you stand? Let's just change your posture. I think I'm on an easy jet flight here. Michelle says there's two at the front and two at the back. No. So we're going to sing a song, but just when you're ready. So what is an altar? Let me just, let me just quickly um, say what it represents at this occasion right now. It's a place of personal encounter. So through communion, you can have personal encounter with God. Um, we're not building a physical altar again, but where there can be established a presence of God in our hearts, let's do that. So we celebrate communion, we're creating, and uh, it's the grandest, I think it's the grandest altar of all. The cross of Calvary. It's interesting that Andy's song choice today was all around the cross. And so we, our hearts are aligned. I think the Spirit's doing something. The Son of God was the ultimate sacrifice. We know that as we talk about altars. Um, his work on the cross reconciled all of humanity, all humankind to God. They just need, that's the way in. They just need to respond now to that, that invitation. And it's made possible for our lives to be infused with meaning. Not just past, but meaning for the future, for our sins to be forgiven and to give us the promise of eternal life that happens not when we die, but right now. Life right now. So think about those things this morning. Would you personally this morning, would you, maybe just for the first time in a long time, can I, can I ask you, can I urge you, can I offer to you that you would present yourself as a sacrifice this morning, where God could come and pour out His Spirit on you again. Refresh your heart, warm your heart, that it pour in His Spirit again. Maybe it feels like a freshness again, a newness again, a new season for you. God wants to do that in your heart this morning. Right across this room, I really sense that the Father wants to refresh us. Some of us have feel, felt bitter this last while. Some of us have felt cold. Some of us have been disappointed, and it seems naturally so that you would be that way. Some of us feel angry. Some of us feel just so just so distance even from what God is doing. And yet you know, you know, you know that he's done it before and allow it to fuel the fire that he'll do it again. He'll come and refresh you today. And I think he's got wisdom for you. I think he's got solutions for you. He's got a better way for living for you. Let's worship. And when you're ready, just come. Come and, and take the bread, which, which, uh, which is his body broken for us, the, the juice, which is his blood poured out for us. And just say, come and refresh me. Come and refresh me, Holy Spirit. Open the eyes of 
Open the eyes of my mind 